1: Welcome back. As we head into hour two, I am Seth Liebson six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. If someone were to ask me, and I don't, I don't know if this is the exact right answer. I don't know if Jim, my GM, would like it. I, I guess it's where I think though. If someone were to ask me, what is the, what is the major? Who doesn't listen? What is the major point of your show? What is the major goal of your show? I suppose it's to. Um, Explain, defend, and recruit to conservatism. Give people reasons to be a conservative, uh, and not just to be one, but to think one and uh, act and vote one. And to, in that vein, if that's true, uh, let's focus a little on that. Blessedly, we have a call from Rob in surprise. Rob, you still there? No, sure am. You were... Uh, you were reading a piece, someone whose name I didn't know. Oh, I know The Federalist. It was over at The Federalist, which is a fantastic yeah. publication. Um, right. And a piece by someone named Sean Fleetwood. Uh, Republican voters don't have an appetite for neoconservatism, and Mike Pompeo's failed presidential aspirations prove it. And you were asking, uh, right before we went to the top of the hour break, you were asking about... Um, Really, do we understand even what neoconservatism is? And is it not sometimes just kind of clay in the hands of whoever is looking for some kind of pejorative element of the movement or party they don't like? So, yeah, going back to basics, you're absolutely right. Neoconservatism was born as a domestic policy um, reaction to the great society more than anything else, to LBJ's great society. Um, and it was founded uh, primarily by um, Irving Kristol uh, and uh, Norman Podhoretz, who edited commentary magazine. Irving Kristol edited a magazine called The Public Interest and was on the Wall Street Journal board editorial board. Robert Bartley, who was the head of the Wall Street Journal editorial uh, page, he was the editor of the job that uh, Paul Gigo has now. Uh, James Q. Wilson, we were mentioning, he was the great criminologist. Uh, many people have heard of the broken windows theory. That was his. For a while, it included a few other people who were uh, still tied to the Democratic Party, like Daniel Patrick Moynihan uh, and uh, and um, and and a few others that uh, were were really upset with. Uh, You know, not only crime in America and what the Great Society was doing to it, but welfare and race relations, what affirmative action was doing, what uh, cyclical welfare policy uh, was wrecking on our cities, inner cities. And then it expanded to other social areas like um, education. So, for example, William Bennett would have been considered part of the neoconservative movement. And um, they had a big influence on uh, the Ronald Reagan um, uh, campaign for presidency and in the presidency. Uh, he had a lot of neoconservatives in there. Uh, Frank Gaffney was considered part of it for a while as well, and who was deputy secretary of defense under Ronald Reagan. <clears throat> so anyway, it started off as a, as a domestic policy movement, and it then did become more and more a foreign policy identification over the years, primarily, <coughs> excuse me, primarily, because Irving Kristol's son, Bill Kristol, uh, spoke and wrote mostly on foreign policy, and particularly in the prosecution against in, uh, the prosecution of the war against terrorism, the Iraq War, and that sort of thing. He was as ardent uh, in the prosecution of the war in Iraq. As perhaps anyone not in government, but you know what's weird about it. To and, and and I suppose, and you can I'll let you talk in a minute here, or you can talk whenever you want. But um, I just want to get this all off the chest. In sure. a weird way, you know, the prosecution of the Iraq War. I say that as outside the government. Bill Kristol was its uh, greatest, shall we say, uh, proponent. Inside the government. Uh, the greatest proponents were people who never affiliated with the neoconservative movement. Don Rumsfeld, Dick Cheney, Condoleezza Rice—these were not ever anyone who would have been identified as neoconservatives or part of. The, so it's, in some respects, I think, hard to blame the entire, uh, the entire folly, if folly it was, on Bill Kristol or neoconservatism. This notion that. Donald Trump and you hear this mostly from Donald Trump supporters and libertarians and Tucker Carlson, uh, wherever he is. I'm not sure. Sometimes it's somewhere in the middle or floating. No, I didn't mean that negatively. I mean, I, I, I think he would say it's hard to pin him down. Maybe he would. I don't know. But but you um, you, you you hear this mostly from Donald Trump supporters. Now, what's interesting about that is selective memory. Donald Trump had as his national security advisor, John Bolton. Donald Trump uh, replaced John Bolton and had as his national security advisor, Robert C. O'Brien, who worked under Bush at the United Nations and was an advisor to Mitt Romney. Donald Trump had as his secretary of state and head of CIA, this man, Sean Fleetwood, says couldn't run for president because of his neoconservatism, Mike Pompeo. So there seems to be a little bit of loose, loose throwing around of the wires here and loose throwing around of the connections here. Um, Mike Pompeo never got in the race, and I don't know if it has to do with what he thinks about policy or what he thinks about domestic policy. Um, what you often hear about the neocons is that they are, you've heard the phrase, chicken hawk. They like to prosecute wars that they would never sign up for. Well, it's just not true of Mike Pompeo. Mike Pompeo graduated number one at West Point in his class and donned the United States uh, Army uniform for many years. It's not true of a lot of these people. It's it's an unfair slander and libel. And the last thing I will say is if I told you someone was going to shoot missiles into Syria several times— and assassinate uh, leaders like Qasem Soleimani and move the Israeli embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, what would that sound like? That would sound like all the slander one hears about neoconservatism. That was Donald Trump. So these things don't neatly work out um, as, as, as much as people like to throw these phrases around. Did I make any sense?
2: Oh, you made a lot of sense. And again, I, just to sort of compliment what you were saying, as I understood it, back in the 60s, when this idea started up, a lot of liberals were signing up That's right. to, the, to, to the idea. They created Democrats they began... for
1: Nixon under Irving Kristol in 1972, I think. Yeah, right.
2: Yeah, and, and I think the reason had been because there had been a lot of social upheaval here in the U.S., and they were becoming disillusioned with you know this whole political radicalism that was coming out of the left um the, the lack of uh, respect for authority and traditions you know the rule of law um and then of course you know with the hippies with their uh so-called lifestyle and um asset A- amnesty
1: and abortion wasn't that what they were saying about the democratic convention of 1972 i think yeah the 3a's yeah, A's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you could and, do it again then, now.
0: <laughs> you could do oh, it.
1: Yeah.
2: again. Then, yeah. Amnesty having
1: a different meaning. <laughs> Acid yeah. yielding to other drugs and uh, abortion yeah. it's still with us. Yeah.
2: It's, it's still with us today. But but again, somehow, and maybe it was during, you know, Bush the first years, it morphed into this sort of international intervention. Yeah. Uh, wh- whether or not it. That's was what to they to it mean it to mean. Interest. That's
1: what they mean yeah. it to mean. Yes.
2: Yeah, and 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 again, you know. But is this, that Mike this, this, Pompeo? This, no, no, I mean, it's but, not. Yeah. But see, it, international interventionism would make sense if it's in the American national interest right. to do so. Right. But they paint this broad stroke. Of, yeah, it bleeds you know, too far into an listens.
1: isolationist theory, doesn't it? It bleeds a little too far. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And
1: then, you know, we 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 have to be the world's policemen. Right. And the extremes of isolationism or the world's policemen are not where most Republicans are and most conservatives are. Um, But, you know, common sense foreign policy, whether it's some blend of real politique or something else, along with, you know, just whatever you want to say. America first stands for these days. I mean, well, yeah, Donald Trump did pretty good. With people well, like Mike Pompeo and Robert O'Brien and John Bolton, he did pretty good. They all,
2: they all did fairly good, Yeah, they did. And yeah. man, I think that's, it's a discussion probably worth stretching I'm out. I'm happy to
1: do it. In. I love it. I love it.
2: Well, I have to take a dog to a vet right now. so I'll All know. right. We'll have all it right. A dog side, to a vet is uh,
1: better than seeing a man about a horse. I'll see you in a few. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. <laughs> I'm Seth Leapson, 602 508 Groupthink can prevent you from seeing. In 2008, Groupthink remained in denial when it was obvious that mortgage-backed securities filled with subprime loans were a house of cards. The Midas Gold Group has been telling people the obvious for years. A system of currency built on debt is just not stable. Most importantly, they've said that the banking system is unstable and tre- treasuries are not risk-free. Abandon the Group. Think of mainstream media and bakers and get a different perspective from the veteran owned Midas Gold Group. Wise diversification involves having money outside the banking system. Call the veteran owned Midas Gold Group to look into safeguarding your money with the stability of gold, as gold traditionally holds its value when economies fall. MidasGoldGroup.com is their website. Visit them at MidasGoldGroup.com, or better yet, give them a call at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Gold you can hold from the Midas Gold Group, your vault of confidence. Um, I don't know how this is going to play out, but uh, <laughs> Fox News settled with Dominion, in case you haven't heard. Pretty hefty price. Did you hear about this, David seven hundred and eighty seven million dollars settlement uh the dominion uh, organization was suing for 1.6 billion i believe um and um oftentimes it's in the interest of both plaintiff and defendant to settle as court costs can uh as court costs court costs and risk of loss of case can be exorbitant um so seven hundred and eighty seven million is evidently a number Dominion felt would restore its reputation and prove its point, and it was a price Fox was willing to pay rather than having to pay the uh, a loss of one point six billion. They had already at Fox News been embarrassed substantially on several fronts, many of you know not only from the um uh, the uh, release of uh a lot of the hosts uh Text messages, but also in some of their legal filings, they had to apologize to the court for filing things that turned out um, to be at best inaccurate, or at worst, in, yeah, best inaccurate. Uh, so that's that. I don't know how it will shake out. My guess is, um, I don't know. Has I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Uh, Fox has been uh, struggling on a lot of fronts. Uh, within our movement, and obviously, uh, there will be a lot of um, dancing on its uh, on this judgment by the MSNBCs and CNNs because of a competition and b ideological differences with Fox. Uh, I I I happen to think uh, Fox News is an important, if not crucial and critical part of our um, communications and news firmament. Uh, People who have a disdain for it uh, probably just don't like the evening commentators and think that that dominates the rest of the day. It doesn't. Fox News daytime is far more unbiased and far more balanced than anything you'll see on CNN or MSNBC. Uh, Any given show during the daytime will have Uh, liberals, leftists, and Democrats on Fox, um, often uh, paired with a conservative, sometimes not paired with a conservative. Um, It will have uh, spokesmen on from the Biden administration and give them, particularly John Kirby, really good interviews and fair ones, unlike how CNN or MSNBC would do with Republican administrations. The evening time, there's no question it is a conservative venue. There's uh, no, no hiding that either. Um, That's the difference between Fox and CNN, kind of like the difference between PragerU and almost every other educational organization out there. They aren't shy about telling you this is conservative. Um, This is going to be a conservative message. I am a conservative host, and this is a conservative show. And those that want to see Fox uh, decimated seem to just want to clear and own the field, don't they? I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing when you consider... ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, NPR, MSNBC, CNBC, and CNN, and they can't tolerate one little old fox out there. One, one, one network that speaks to uh, you know something called half the country, maybe, or at least the political views of half the country. That was the genius that Roger Ailes brought to uh, brought to media when he founded it. In 1996, interesting to think about for a moment, isn't it? How young Fox is compared to everyone else. It only started broadcasting in 1996 until 1996. You're you're probably too young to remember this, right? I'm guessing, David, you're smiling because you knew this was coming. Probably going to beat you up for your (laughs) for what did Reagan say to Mondale? Youthful inexperience. What was it in the debate? Your his youthful his youth and inexperience. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> It doesn't apply to you, your wise beyond your years, but um until nineteen ninety six a lot of people if they knew of Bill O'Reilly, they only knew of him from what, was it Inside Edition, I think? He was a reporter maybe at one of those shows. Um Sean Hannity was a radio host in New York and that was it. Uh WABC in New York. Um they just, you know, uh Tucker Carlson was on CNN. He was a host of Crossfire. And uh, by the way, speaking of to Rob's point about neoconservatism and this long-standing disdain for it, um, do you know who started the Weekly Standard? Bill Crystal's magazine. Bill Crystal, Fred Barnes, Tucker Carlson, David Frum, and John Port Tucker Carlson was a big part of uh of the weekly standard for many years people uh in, in well he he may not like us reminding of that, but it's true it is it is true so i don't i don't know i don't know what uh what what significance significance this will have. Except that I'm going to guess uh, television uh, personalities are going to be much more careful about what they text to each other. That's certainly anything you text, uh, anything you text might end up in The New York Times or The Washington Post or an illegal pleading. So I guess people are going to keep that in mind uh, when it comes to expressing their political opinions. And when you look at some of the stuff Tucker uh, wrote about Donald Trump, I was kind of surprised – to see um, that Donald Trump would give Tucker so much time as he did last week. And I, I kind of wonder a little bit what the back-channel conversa- back conversation was there. But I'm glad we're all on the same side and team again. It's important. Uh, it is true that when we divide ourselves too much, um, the other side wins, which is why I hate this internecine fighting, I was Reminding people the other day, you know when the Republican primary become there's there's a level of fight you want there's a level of argument you want, but when it goes into the red zone as it sometimes is and it looks like the Desantis Trump fight is, um, the result is almost always predictably a Democratic Party victory. We saw some of that here. Uh, we've seen it in Arizona many 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 times uh, more than uh, more than in just 2020, in 1976 the most probably the most bitter. Senate primary in the country was right here between John Connellan and Sam Steiger, uh, both congressmen vying for a Senate seat. I think it was Paul Fannin's Senate seat, if I'm not mistaken. They beat each other up so hard it yielded Dennis DeConcini, the Democrat, because Connellan's uh, supporters wouldn't vote for Sam Steiger in the primary after he won. Okay, a lot there. 602-5080-960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. We still have some tickets left for our Cigar Night with Dennis Prager coming up in nine days, April twenty seventh. It's going to be a great event. I'll be there. Look forward to seeing a bunch of you there. We're going to have great food. Uh, we'll give, if you like cigars, that's 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 we'll have cigars. And if you don't, uh, no worries. Um, you don't have to. <laughs> it's going to be outdoors in the. Shade uh, of uh, beautiful uh, Camelback Mountain. Uh, it's going to be a great environment. Uh, we've done, uh, for those of you that have been, went to our last event with Larry Elder, it's like that. It's going to be very intimate. Everyone who goes will have, uh, have uh, time with Dennis Prager. We're keeping it deliberately small. And then um, drinks, food, great drinks, great food, great conversation. And then I'm going to interview uh, Dennis for the audience, uh, for all of you who do attend. And, uh, if you have, uh, thoughts about things you want me to ask Dennis about, feel free to give us a call or, um, or, uh, or email me what kind of food, food of all kinds. New producer, David Dahl asks, how long do we call you the new producer? I don't know, but let me remind that, um, yeah, it will be great food. Uh, everything uh, that you could want will be at this event. Most importantly, Dennis Prager. Get your tickets at 960thepatriot.com. I just I keep saying it, but I think it's just so true. I just don't know anyone better talking about our political cultural scene right now than Dennis Prager. Whose trajectory in American life and politics is really amazing. You know, for those of you that uh, sometimes get a little frustrated or may not think you have the impact, who was it? I had a caller earlier. Maybe it was with Charles. Never, 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 never give up. You now, Dennis was, gosh, 1996. If people didn't know who Bill O'Reilly and Sean Hannity was, they wouldn't have probably. Maybe, I, you know, they, they might not know much about Dennis Prager. I, I He had a Sunday night show in Los Angeles. He was a local radio host on a weekend night. Um, when I was in grad school, that's what I remember him for. Uh, that's when I remember first hearing him. I called into his show. I remember doing that but um, and talking with him, and he had a newsletter called Ultimate Issues, and he wrote some books here and there, and he wrote a column here and there, and he taught uh, at a fair- various uh institutes in Southern California, but he kept going and going and going and going never never giving up doing um doing as much as he possibly could what's the old Henry Thoreau line sucking the marrow out of life and in short order, he got a national column and in short order, he got a national radio show and he kept going and building on that up against you know the biggest man in radio um that that's a tough spot to fill, and he built his own audience around that and then of course with prager university he's 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 got that archimedean crank doesn't he with a big enough crank i can move the world Isn't that what our com- our committee said and uh he does but speaking of history david doll what do you have on your lapel today
0: i've got a tricky one for you today seth
1: yeah it's it has a big v yeah and it says liberty loan liberty loan yes Talk to us. What is it? Well, it's not very political in nature. In okay. fact, it's um, a pin that they wore during the war years in World War Two uh, yes. to signify that somebody had contributed to one of the Liberty Loans. Oh, okay, like an "I voted" kind of thing, yes. like an "I voted" yes. pin. Nice Liberty Loan. Okay. Did you know what it was when you bought it? You probably did. Yes, V for Victory, Liberty Loan, yeah. Yeah. And was it World War II or World Yes,
0: v-? and I believe we have Winston Churchill to thank for that V for Victory. Yeah. Yes.
1: Oh, okay. Nice. Nice work. Good, remi- good good reminder of history. All right, I want to um I want to talk speaking about good reminders of history. If you missed my monologue, uh, you can get it at our website as well, 960thepatriot.com. I want to talk to you about some high school AP history books. And what Greg Price found in a recent survey, um, I don't know if it will have your jaw on the floor, because you're now used to them all being so terrible. But it should have everyone's jaw on the floor if they care about apolitical or non-political education of our youth. The problem is half the country does not care about apolitical or non-political education of our youth. They care about politicalizing our children as much as they try to catastrophize our children. It's awful, but you got to know about it. We'll do it when we come right back. <clears throat> welcome welcome back to the Seth Leap's and Show 6025080960. If by the way, I mentioned the phrase catastrophizing our children, might as well also use the phrase confusing them. Uh, Use the Hannah Arendt line uh, where today's uh, school yards and playgrounds are the new battlegrounds of adult political fights. Um, Any any number of things you can say about the use and abuse of our children and particularly their brains. I mean, you know, you wouldn't even need. It seems to me phraseology like affirming, which is Orwellian, gender affirming is part of the Orwellian list, like freedom is slavery and ignorance is strength and war is peace and all that, Um, speech is violence, whole list I put together um, in our modern age. Um, You wouldn't even need to use, gender affirming means sex changing, you wouldn't even need to use the word affirming when it comes to our children if you didn't confuse them in the first place. So when we all kind of got an insight into this, when Marsha Blackburn, Senator Blackburn, asked uh, Supreme Court nominee Katanji Brown Jackson um, what her definition of the, of, of, of the word woman was, and Katanji Brown Jackson refused to answer, if you thought that was a one-off, it isn't, and it wasn't. Here's your United States Secretary of Education. By the way, does, could anyone even name the United States Secretary of Education if I didn't tell you, if you aren't in the education business or one of the teachers unions? Would you know his name is Miguel Cardona? I'll tell you one thing you can't tell me. I know you can't. I bet you don't even know if the job is filled. Do you, do you even know, given this drug crisis, if we have a drug czar and what his or her name might be? Three days ago, the Biden administration put out a statement on declaring the uh, fentanyl crisis a national emergency. Welcome to the party, pal. We've been on this for years, years. If you listen to this show, or if you just read the headlines, my God, they did. They got to it three days ago. And if if you know of the drug czar's name, I mean, I could Google it. I'm I, I'm so uninterested in. The failures of this administration, I, th- I think it's more important to point out as a sign of that failure that no one knows who it is or if it is. Um But anyway, Secretary of Education, his name is Miguel Cardona. And if you thought Joe Biden's nominee to the Supreme Court, Ketanji Brown Jackson, was a one off in not telling you what a woman is, uh, neither will... Your U.S. Secretary of Education, which explains to you the entire push of not gender affirmation but confusion of our children. He was in testimony today and it was uh, at the um, – he was uh, speaking for Congress today and he was asked three times what a woman was and he wouldn't answer. So can you please tell me or can you please define for me what is a woman? Uh, our focus at the department is to provide – equal access to students including students who are uh lgbtq uh, access free from discrimination is that so what's the def what's the definition of a woman you haven't given me that you haven't answered my question i think that's almost secondary to the important (laughs) role that i have as secretary of education my question is not secondary my question is very simple what is the def? what does hhs say the definition of a woman is uh, I lead the Department of Education, and my job is to make sure that all students have access to public education, which includes co-curricular activities and I think you highlighted pretty co-curricular well, activities title not three times he's asked he won't do it. he doesn't do it. And the definition of a woman to him is secondary to whatever this co-curricular activity is. Secondary, I will tell you <laughs> if you if you if you were up against the feminist movement or even Planned Parenthood or the Ms. Foundation or Gloria Steinem or the equal, if you were a proponent of the Equal Rights Amendment throughout the entirety of the 1960s and 1970s or even 1980s and said the definition of a woman is secondary to anything, anything, well, you would have learned what cancel culture was then, too. Anything, the idea that the definition of a woman is—we're going to have um, uh, Michelle Tafoya on uh, later in the show. She uh, She's going to talk to us a little bit about that. There's a piece of legislation pending to protect women in sports, to protect the essence and meaning of Title IX, to protect the civil rights of women. Uh, we're going to have her on talking about it. She knows sports. Um, she is a woman, and she has uh, her own podcast here. Uh, on Salem Now. You can get it at SalemNow.com. Very smart, smart woman. Anyway, she's going to talk about the importance of that legislation. You know, it's odd. Who would have thought three years ago you would have needed, four years ago, five years ago, you would have needed legislation on top of Title IX to protect the integrity of women in sports. But you have a new world where people like uh, Megan Rapinoe, um, who spent the last five years lecturing us that women's sports need to be taken as seriously as men's sports. Now lobbying against this legislation on behalf of transgender rights, I guess everything she said about the importance of female sports being as important as men's sports, maybe she can't tell us the definition of a woman anymore. Maybe she can't because she's against this bill. I bet she cannot. I bet she will not. I bet she would not. Because that's where you have to go. ...to support the Leah Thomas-type nonsense. This is where you have to go... ...to oppose the Riley Gaines-type common sense. You have to be able to say you cannot define... ...what it means to be a woman. And if you're Megan Rapino, ...you just throw in the towel... ...on everything you seem to have stood for... ...for the last five years... ...in saying women's sports should be taken as seriously... ...as men's sports. And then you just... ...okay, well, never mind that. We'll just put men in women's sports... We'll just, we'll just surrender the whole notion. Wonder how she would have thought about that if the effort were to go the other direction? If a Leah Thomas type in soccer tried to join Megan Rapino's team or opposition. Wonder what the thought would have been then. Uh, these people are, are not only inconsistent frauds, it's a fraud of the mind. It's a confusion of the mind to think that we have to act and think and talk this way now, but we do, but we have been, and by force, I mean force. If you try to utter common sense, you will be, as Riley Gaines found out, falsely imprisoned. You will be assaulted and you will be battered on a college campus, and the president of that college campus will defend the people who assaulted and battered you. That's the world we're in now. That's the world we're in now. People might want to go, what was Bill, um, David, what was the movie um, Maybe This Time, the song Maybe This Time came out of, about the early days of Nazi Germany where people were being beaten up, Carousel uh, Life is a, uh, car- the song Carousel, what am I thinking of? Are you uh, thinking of Cabaret? Cabaret, yeah. Go back and watch Cabaret. You'll see what the streets in Germany were like. It looked like the streets of the campuses of San Francisco State University. I'm Seth Liebsen. We'll be right back. Oh, the name I couldn't think of was Idina Menzel. Idina Menzel and Leah Michelle sing a great version of Maybe This Time, which is a beautiful song from that show, Cabaret that you reminded me of. Anyway, interesting historical musical. You want to see what the early days of Germany? Nazi Germany looked like, and how they would beat up dissidents on the street. Um, you can do that, or you can watch what happened to uh, you can watch what happened to Gaines at uh, San Francisco State University. Um, I did say I was going to say something about the textbooks, didn't I? And I didn't get to that. Speaking of history, U.S. history. So, Greg Price. Uh, did an analysis of the most popular AP U.S. history textbooks. AP is obviously advanced placement. This is the this is the the elite teaching. This is the stuff that people want their students in. Parents want their children in. Uh, they want them in AP history if they can. Uh, and these are the textbooks, American history textbooks, uh, that the College Board has is the approved list of textbooks to deploy an AP curriculum. Nearly all of the textbooks claim Russia meddling was responsible for the 2016 election of Donald Trump. Nearly all of them. Uh, they also leave out all the details of how the Trump-Russia media narrative unraveled, whether it had to do with the Steele dossier or FBI or any of that, the work of Brennan and Clapper, Adam Schiff, all of that is left out, but it is said that Russian meddling is what led to the uh, presidency of Donald Trump. Uh, many of the books also cover in death in depth all the ugly charges uh, against Clarence Thomas uh, when he was uh, nominated to the Supreme Court um, and uh, yet they have nothing to say about the allegations against Joe Biden. One textbook. Uh, covers Officer Brian Sicknick's death without clarifying that he died of natural causes from a stroke. Um, This is great. One textbook says that Donald Trump's message in 2016, quote, appealed successfully to nostalgia for a time when people of color and women knew their place. What the hell are they talking about? I mean, why do you need a textbook when you can just get transcripts, from the DNC convention. Incredible stuff. Incredible stuff. Uh, Yes, one textbook calls Donald Trump a sexual predator has nothing to say about uh, Bill Clinton's sexual scandals, nothing about Kathleen Wiley, Paula Jones, Juanita Broderick. It's... Welcome to AP, Advanced Placement, American History in your U.S. schools today where the Secretary of Education cannot tell you what a woman is and you wonder why we are where we are. How did we get here? This is how we got here. What did Milan Kundera say? The struggle of man against power is the struggle of memory against forgetting. They want you to forget and they want to give you new memories. Very Orwellian. Make Orwell fiction again, please.